If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk straight and narrow track. If you walk with Jesus, you'll save your soul. You gotta keep the devil down in the hole. He's got the fire and the fury. Welcome, welcome to the Info Show. It is Tuesday night, the 20th, and the Dodgers and the Giants are engaged in the ninth inning down-to-the-wire game here. It's 5-4 Dodgers, and Don Mattingly just pulled a huge rookie manager mistake by going to the mound twice, although it was really like one and a quarter times because he went up to the mound, turned around, took one foot off the mound, turned back around, went back on the mound, and they counted that as two trips. So now Broxton has to come out, and George Sherrill, fucking seven-point-whatever <laughs> ERA is coming in with no outs and the bases loaded, and the Dodgers have basically blown this game now because there's no chance in hell Sherrill gets anyone out. This was, by the way, this is a terrible, I, I don't really, as a Giants fan even, this is kind of a bad call. I don't really see why Mattingly's getting in trouble for this. I think, it's, uh... It's, I mean, it's obviously in the rule book that if you go there twice, but, you know, he just kind of took like a few steps off and went back to answer a question. Um, but it's just fitting for such a crazy game and a crazy series because we've had already four hit batters tonight or three hit batters tonight. I think Kemp, Torres, and Rowan have all gotten hit. Yes. Kershaw has been ejected. Torrey's been ejected. The other random bench coach has been ejected. Um, we had Xavier Paul drop a fly ball on the warning track to help the Giants score two more runs. This is all after last night's game in which the Giants won 5-2 to two right. and uh, escaped two bases-loaded jams in the 7th and ninth innings. So to, uh, if the Dodgers lose this game, they'll have lost seven in a row or six yeah. in a row, something like that, something really bad. None of this ever would have happened had Joe Torre not gotten ejected earlier in the game. If you haven't been watching... What happened was Tim Lincecum was down like five to one or five to two, and he threw a brushback pitch to Matt Kemp in like the fifth inning, and then the very next pitch he beaned Matt Kemp. So when a pitcher throws two purpose pitches in a row, it's pretty much guaranteed that he's purposefully thrown at the guy, and the Dodgers were not happy about that, and so in the top of the seventh, uh, first man on is. Who was it? Is it Rowan? Um, yeah. It was yeah. Rowan. And uh, first thing Kershaw does is bean Rowan, and he gets tossed. And Joe Torre then gets tossed, and Bob Schaefer gets tossed. So, you know, everyone's gone, and now you're left with Don Mattingly as the fill-in manager. And, you know, everyone's saying Don Mattingly is the heir apparent to Joe Torre. And if anyone is not convinced that he's ready well, to be a manager, I, then this is Exhibit A. And I've count I, myself in one of those people. I don't think he's a good choice to succeed Joe Torres. Oh, Torres! Oh, Torre Torre high deep to left center! There it is! Into the gap! Oh it's my god. Everybody's gonna score! Fuck two, me, man. Two, two, I told you Andres Torres is gonna come up big. What a fucking joke. double for Andres Torres. It's a six this is five. a disgrace. Five. What did I tell you? George, George Sherrill is completely inept. He can't even get a single out. Oh my god. What I told a you Andres Torres is gonna break this tie, or the, uh, take the, take the lead for the Giants. 
I didn't expect it to be in such a crazy fashion. But it could have been me or you up there against George Cheryl, and we could have doubled <laughs> to the wall. This is, oh my I, god. Andres Torres, the Giants now have a chance to steal this game thanks to some weird umpiring, some weird fielding, a couple hit batsmen, and uh, yeah, the Giants have a chance to gain a game on San Diego, which would put them only, I think, three back. Is that right? I don't know. I just I've lost yeah, track now. They'll be back if they win. So. I'm so disgusted. Did you get a chance to read that uh the big ESPN article about the McCords? Yeah, I skimmed it. It was painful. I mean, I felt like a lot of those details I had read in other places already. You know, there wasn't a lot of new information. We knew that they were paying this karma guru or whatever, this psychic a lot of money. To basically do nothing. We knew that they were paying their sons six figures each to do nothing. And then they complain that they can't sign anyone. They don't have the money to sign any players. Well, this report just exposes them for the phonies that they are. And Bud Selig has to step in here and force them to sell the team. Or, I know he can't force them, but he's got to put pressure on them because they are a disgrace that, yeah, I, you know, you've complained a lot about them, and I really didn't know a whole lot about the whole situation. But after reading that article, I feel really, really bad for the Dodger fans because, I mean, as bad as I can feel, which isn't really that bad at all. But the fact of the matter is that they've really just kind of screwed over that franchise, spent money in just reckless ways, on not on the team at all, but just on themselves. You know, regardless of whether it's going to pay Manny Ramirez or if it's not getting paid at all, the truth is that they shouldn't be spending so much money on themselves. And uh, it seems like it's more of a pride issue now to kind of settle that, you know, divorce. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the Dodgers have had so much talent, you know, over the past three to five years, so much young talent. You, know, you get guys like Kershaw and Billingsley and Ethier and Kemp and Loney and Martin. And uh, it would be a shame for Dodger fans to let that all go to waste. And uh, they're in danger of doing that if they don't figure themselves out. Well, it's happening. Yeah. Since the McCourts have owned the team, they've bought like 10 beach houses, spend untold millions on real estate, and yet they complain that they don't have enough money to buy enough players for the team. Well, that's just complete bullshit. It's just they don't want to put money in the team. They don't really care about this as much as their other assets. And that's demonstrated by the fact that before they even bought the Dodgers, they tried desperately to buy the Red Sox before the the group, I forgot who owns them now, but the group that owns them won the bidding over the McCourts. And the Red Sox fans, I'm sure, are very happy over that, seeing what has happened with the Dodgers. Yes. Um, Travis Schlichtling? Travis Schlichting, who... Who is this? He just got called up from AAA not too long ago. We're using him primarily in long relief. His first appearance, he threw like three shutout innings, and he's been pretty good so far. He's only had a few appearances, but he's he's done well. Which begs the question, why the fuck did Don Mattingly even bother to put George Sherrill in? The disgrace that George Sherrill was. (laughs) George Sherrill, they put him on waivers last week, and... That goes to show you how bad he is. He didn't get claimed by anyone, even though he's not making that much money. Nobody uh, wants this guy. He's awful. And to put him in with the bases loaded and nobody out in a one-run game, I just don't understand. Here's a ground baller for call. Oh, no. Oh. Posey gets thrown out at the plate, so it's still a one-run game. Two out now. 
Yeah, two outs, two on. Giants need to, uh, a little insurance would help because Brian Wilson for us is very similar to Jonathan Broxton for you. He just, he makes things as exciting as he can. And, and as great as that is as a baseball fan, it's, uh, usually like an ulcer for a Giants fan. So I'd feel a lot better if, uh, Mr. Buster Posey here could, uh, knock in another run. Oh, that wasn't Posey guy got thrown out. Who was that that got thrown out? I think that was the Chicago pin shooting. And there's the base oh hit to right field. Oh my god. Here comes Torres. He's gonna score. 7-5. He's cut down at 30. Safe. There we go. Giants coming up big. 7-5. And, uh, Andres Torres, let me tell you, he's the catalyst. He's fiery. He's stoked. Buster Posey. So while, uh, Steve wallows away with, uh, self-hatred for the Dodgers dire situation, it's pretty good being a Giants fan right now. They've won 10 of their last 12, hopefully 11 of their last 13 if they can pull this one out tonight. Buster Posey has gone absolutely apeshit on the entire National League over the past month, um, ever since Benji Molina got traded. Madison Bumgarner has stepped in the fifth spot very capably and uh, has shown himself to be pretty solid. The water buffalo alignment in the outfield with Burl and uh, Aubrey Huff in the corners has given the Giants some real pop in the middle. And uh, the whole squad, even the pitching, the starting pitching hasn't even been that great lately. You know, Linscombe struggled again tonight. Sanchez has been pretty solid. Kane's been erratic lately, surprisingly. But um, the offense is keeping them in games and actually winning some games like tonight for them. And if Pablo Sandoval can get going in the middle of the lineup, he, Huff, Burl, and Posey would form a pretty, you know, I'm very much a pessimist about the Giants offense, but if if Sandoval gets going and if these guys can keep up to maybe like 80% of what they're doing for Huff and Sandoval or Huff and Posey, that'd be a pretty solid lineup for the Giants. Well, I'm glad um, you're optimistic because I am very optimistic. Right I have now. lost all hope. I am so fatalistic about this team. They always <laughs> do that to you. They always tease you with their ability that they might win, and then as soon as you let your guard down a little, they punch you in the face. Happened yeah, last well, night. They rallied in the ninth, only to come up short. And they're going into the ninth leading tonight, only to give it up by some stupid managerial mistakes. Well, let's be honest here. The Giants are going to score anyway. I mean, Jonathan Broxton would have blown that safe. Probably. <laughs> that would be two in a row since the All-Star break that he blew. And you know, you know how I feel about Broxton. I don't, I've never really had much confidence in Broxton. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like a chubbier version of Wilson in that he just throws gas, gets saves, but you know, pretty much gives you a heart attack every time he nails one down. Yeah. I think it's so annoying though, also that he takes so long in between pitches. It's literally like 20 to 30 seconds between each pitch. And it makes me want to rip my throat out every time I see. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to the bottom of the ninth now. The Giants, Pablo Sandoval just flied out. So the Giants will take a 7-5 lead into the ninth inning. Do you have any other uh, Dodger notes to add here, Steve? Oh, God. This is so annoying. I am so dejected right now. I just want to rip everyone in this damn organization. It is so depressing. It starts with the ownership. You all know how I feel about the ownership. Mm-hmm. Even the players, though. I mean, Manny and left can't stay healthy without the juice. Fucking Matt Kemp got Rihanna, got a new deal, and all of a sudden can't play defense. And also can't run the bases, as evidenced by tonight, when after he got beaned and he was upset, 
there was a single to right field and he, he put his head down like a stupid dog and ran as hard as he could from first to third. And he actually made it, except he couldn't control himself and he slid past the bag <laughs> and got tagged out. He makes stupid base running mistakes almost as much as he makes stupid defensive mistakes. And it pisses me off. Ethier and Wright is okay. Him and Fercal are the only guys on the team who are worth a damn. What about Loney? Loney? Loney's doing well this year. Loney and... No power, but he's he's driving in runs. He's getting a lot of hits. James Loney and Casey Blake and Blake DeWitt are average players. It's like Denny Green says, they are who we thought they were. You know what you're getting from them. Nothing spectacular. They're average players. Russell Martin, on the other hand, is terrible. And it pisses me off to no end that we gave up Carlos Santana, who has a 990-something OPS for the Cleveland Indians, and I have to watch fucking Russell Martin play with his 240 average. (laughs) I think uh, I'm sensing a lot of animosity there, Steve. I... uh... I'm and the sure pitching staff, me. God, the pitching, don't get me started on the pitching staff. I mean, they wouldn't re-sign Randy Wolf, who was our best pitcher this year. Granted, he hasn't been very good in Milwaukee, but you don't know what he would have been like in LA. He's from LA. Maybe he would have been more comfortable here, staying at home, and pitching in front of his home fans. I mean, I just, I don't understand why the McCourts <laughs> are so cheap. And the bullpen, which last year was the strength, the backbone of this team. Now, other than Hong Chi Kuo, can't get anyone out. Ronald Belisario, has his life has fallen into shambles. He's in rehab because he got that DUI conviction. He was suspended because he didn't show up to spring training until a week before the season started. Ramon Troncoso, because of Joe Torre overworking him, has gone the way of Scott Proctor and Paul Quantrill and all those other middle relief guys where Tory has just destroyed their arms with overuse. George <laughs> Sherrill has Tory's completely fallen off the map. Corey Wade, you know, the same thing that happened to Ramon Troncoso happened to Corey Wade the year before, and Corey Wade still hasn't improved. I mean, he's been hurt for the last two years, and there's no one to blame but Joe Tory. Well, Jeff Weaver came in last night. That was exciting. Yeah, Jeff Weaver did come in. He got a few outs. He's, I mean, he's like... He's like our corner infielders, you know. He he's an average pitcher. Oh, you, Pablo! Yes, Pablo. They are who we Oof. thought they were. I mean, Jamie Carroll. I like Jamie Carroll more than I do most of the starters. Did you see Jamie Carroll's pregame routine yesterday on the big screen? Yeah, that was pretty fun to watch. That was pretty it? awesome that he plays 90 minutes bejeweled on his iPod Touch yeah. before every game. That's and a, he also gets a lot of new people. shoes delivered to him every day. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, he's such a hard worker, so that's good. Yeah. There we go. What, one big out there for the Giants. Pablo the Panda at third base with a an agile play, and Travis Ishikawa picking it on the other end. Yeah, the Giants. I mean, you've you've uh, touched on how the Dodgers. I mean, I think that I I wouldn't be surprised to see them make another push here by the end of the year. I don't think they're done. Um, whether or not they have enough, really, for me, I think it's the pitching. I think the. I just the bats, don't see it happening. This team just doesn't have it. Well, they might not have the magic, but I don't think they're also not as bad as they've been. Have I expressed my anger enough? (laughs) I'm not quite sure if if I've expressed the level of anger that I'm feeling over this. I'm I'm sensing quite a bit of frustration from you. The Giants, on the other hand, you know, it's obviously great positive right now. The the truth is that the bats will come back to earth at some point. And really the big key has to be the pitching staff. 
living up to their lofty expectations because they've been very good, no doubt, but they really need to be exceptional to carry this club into the playoffs because the defense isn't fantastic. Rafael for just freaking does not get out. Against Double the to the wall and left. The Ever. only him and Ethier are the only guys on the team worth a damn this year. I feel like every time for calls up against the Giants, he gets a hit. He has like been almost. amazing this year. He's been he had that one so stint good. on the DL where he missed a couple weeks, but other than that, he has been by far the best player on the team. Well, He's leading the National League in hitting now. If the season ended today, he would win the batting title. Would he really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he's hitting, like, with this double, I think he's probably up to, like, 340 now. Jeez. Ronnie Belliard on... Is he up right now? Ronnie the Belly Belliard is coming up. He Ronnie of, the Belly Belliard. He of the weight clause in his contract, where in his contract it was mandated that he show up to camp under 210 pounds, and apparently he made it. But since then, it looks like he's packed it back on. Well, that's like the panda diet. He was supposed to get under 250, but he never did. <laughs> like he ended up at around 262 or so. <laughs> but now that the Giants have gotten rid of Benji Molina, there's more food for everybody. So True. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, to see his weight climb back up there again. There's still some stuff left on the post-game spread every night. Absolutely. Molina would have cleaned that off in the old days. Well, anyway, we'll we'll keep following this game, but I think that's Steve wanted to get a great little rant in. Any any last uh, jabs at the Dodgers while you're at it, Steve? There goes Ronnie Belliard, one and two, with a big swing and miss. I uh, I don't know what else I can say about this team. Have I ripped everyone yet? Uh, you can rip Vin Scully. That no, Vin Scully is unrippable. He is infallible. I don't know about that. How dare you? How dare you, Paul? Vince Scully is not only a Dodger icon, but a national icon. The greatest broadcaster in the history of Western civilization. Oh, come on, Bill Walton. What are you talking about? He's just the greatest. It's inarguable. By every conceivable measure, by every published publication, Vince Scully has been rated the number one broadcaster of all time. And I see no reason to argue with that. Vince That's Scully because is- they haven't listened to the magic that is Dwayne Kuyper, Mike Kruko, John Miller, and Dave Fleming. Because those four have, uh, they have such, they're such kindred spirits and they just, they have so much energy and feed off each other. You know, if you don't like listening to a three and a half hour monologue from a guy who doesn't like traveling east to Colorado. He's I, like 90 years up. old. You gotta give the guy a break. He's been doing he this makes for like six fall asleep. years. He's, incredibly boring he never has anything interesting to say it's not boring it's soothing and his little anecdotes about every player that come up are very interesting i think he's going senile i mean you know some of his anecdotes just they're just silly ridiculous these days yeah but they're still fun i i think you need to you need to properly listen to the giants so here's a giant story Look, i've listened to them they're quality you know but but to compare them to vin scully I mean, that's like comparing F.P. Santangelo to Babe Ruth. It, I mean, they're, yeah, well, they're both major FP. league players, but... F.P.'s you know. the man. F.P.'s also a Giants commentator. <laughs> it's fitting that you picked F.P. <laughs> um, For some reason, he was the first name that popped into my head. I don't know if that says something about me or him. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy those steroid abusers, I guess. Andre Ethier uh, can't hit lefties at all this year. Same as last year. I mean, but, but, but before last year, he was actually quite adept at hitting lefties. I don't know what's happened to him. It's a uh, small sample size that evens out over time. 
Yeah, Ethier's been, but he's been pretty good the whole years. I mean, when he's been healthy. So I'm not letting you rip on Ethier because of all the guys out there, he's been pretty consistent. Ethier has Whoop. been pretty good for the for about a month after he came off the DL because of that broken pinky. He was abysmal, but you have to forgive him for that because he was getting his timing back and working himself back into the regular swing of things. And I think in the month of July, he's actually had a pretty good OPS, so he's picking it back up. He homered earlier today, actually. He did? Off Lincecum, yeah. no less. Mm-hmm. Which is he had a two-run homer in the first inning. So um, him and Fercal, the only the only hitter is really worth a damn on this team. I, I I think I've ripped everyone in the organization by now. I think you have. We're just really waiting for this game to finish so that we can properly move to another topic. It's two and two with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Affelt facing uh, Andre Ethier, and uh, hopefully you can nail it down because Brian Wilson has been pitching a lot lately and isn't available tonight. The bullpen for the Giants came up pretty big so far with. Uh, Four, ooh, inside. Four uh, shutout innings thus far, saving Tim Lincecum from suffering a loss on a night when he obviously didn't have his best stuff. What has happened to him, by the way? He was throwing 87, 88 all night. He's just completely lost his velocity. Yeah, he he threw, he sustained it to 92, 93 in a shutout last week against the Mets, but he had a lot of time off before that start because he didn't throw in the All Star game and he was actually available. That would have been like his regular turn. But yeah, maybe the number of pitches is catching up to him. Who knows? He's a small guy and he's always had questions. They've always had questions about that. His fastball velocity is down. His command of it is more worrisome because he's not, he's just missing his spots with it. And even though his off speed stuff with the curve and the change is usually pretty good, the fastball, you know, he has to work off that and he's not able to do that at this point. Well, the good um, news is his changeup remains sick. His changeup is just disgusting. It's just, so good. It's, it was really the only pitch that was working for him tonight, but it, it wasn't enough. Yeah, the, the I Dodgers think just jumped on him early. That's been a trend for him lately: is that people just sit on the fastball. You know, they lay. I mean, it's hard to lay off a change, but if your fastball isn't going that fast anyway, it really blurs the success of the oh, change. Oh, there's the there game. Ethier strikes out. Jeremy Affeld strikes out Andre Ethier, and the Giants complete the seven to five comeback victory. I really wish we'd gone to tonight's game, Steve. That would have been a lot of fun. Uh, it didn't really matter for me. The ineptness was equal in both nights. Yeah, but this one was much more of a heartbreaker for Dodger fans, so this would have felt much better. The Dodgers uh, have now lost six in a row, and the season finale is tomorrow. Barry Zito against Chad Billingsley. That's a winnable game. Zito's been good, but that's a winnable game for you guys. Anyway, let's transition away from baseball since we've been going for about half an hour on that. In big news, I can sympathize. I'm going to throw in a graceful segue here. I've come to realize over the last 16, 17, however many years it's been, that good ownership is hard to come by. And the Golden State Warriors have finally been sold, not to Larry Allison, but to Joe Lacob and Peter Goober for 450 Goober. Yeah, it's not a good name. <laughs> and apparently he lost like $300 million on his Sony like movies that he's made. So I'm a little worried about Goober. But uh, Lakeup seems like a cool guy, except for the fact that he grew up a Lakers fan. But he's had Warriors season tickets for the last 10 years, and he's been in the Bay Area for the last 30 years. In big news tonight, the Warriors have secured the services, or are close to securing the services, of 
Jeremy Lin, the Harvard point guard who grew up in my hometown of Palo Alto and went to Chinese school. Took um, Pali to the state championship, too, in and senior beat, year. And beat Modern Day in a giant, colossal upset. Um, he kind of blew up on YouTube and everything last week with his performance against John Wall. He put up 14 points and 6-12 shooting and held the zone against Wall. And there were rumors that the Mavs were going to try to sign him. The Lakers weren't on him. An Eastern Conference team was on him. But I think ultimately he wanted to come home and all things being equal. The Warriors, let's be honest, don't have a very good roster, so he's going to have a chance to maybe even make the team and get some playing time, um, especially with C.J. Watson getting traded. So, yeah, it's it's pretty great for all Bay Area sports fans because a lot of us have identified with him for a long time. He's, you know, Asian American, which is really cool. One of the first players to be Asian American in the NBA. And, uh, I think the management did a great job of, I mean, push comes to shove. It's all about basketball and that's all I care about. But he can play and we'll see if he can play well enough to make the Warriors. But it's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad ultimately that he ended up going home. I, I was kind of rooting for the Lakers to sign him, but he would have been completely buried on that bench behind Fisher and Steve Blake and Vujicic and Kobe, and he just wouldn't have gotten any playing time. With the Warriors, he actually has a chance. They've got Monte and Stephen Curry and not much else. Yeah, yep, that's true. So we'll see how Jeremy does. I think at the very least he's going to be a cult hero if he's not already. And uh, I think attendance is going to be fantastic out there. The thing yeah. I'm worried about, I just don't want him to turn into what Spencer Chu was for the Bruins, where he's just kind of like a mascot where people cheer ironically when he comes in and when he shoots. You know, I don't want him to become what Adam Morrison was for the Lakers this year. Well, the he actually difference... has skill. He can play. Yeah, yeah. I don't want him to become you know this mascot laughingstock. Sure. I, I think the difference is the Warrior fans... The Warriors have a very knowledgeable, passionate fan base, and honestly, it's a large Asian population, and they're going to identify with Jeremy Lin, and that's great. But I think also, from what I've been reading on blogs and stuff, people just want... Michelle Obama, I mean, the by the way, so- throwing out the first pitch at the Orioles game today. Thanks for interrupting my flow here, Steve. I'm sorry. Uh, they just showed her. Oh my god, I'm just, I flipped over to baseball tonight, and on a throw over to first... Carl Crawford was getting back to the bag, and he got beaned in the nuts by the ball. That was painful. Oh, man. That's painful. But, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, thanks, Steve. You just – I don't even know where I was. Anymore. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Lin, I think, you know, he's going to fit in well. I think he, he obviously has some talent. I'm not saying he's going to be a star. I'm not going to say he's going to start. I'm not even going to say he's going to make the team necessarily. But he's earned a shot, and that's all you can really ask for. And, you know, the fact that he's Asian is going to – I mean, it's naive to think that it won't make a difference. But the Warriors have suffered for so long that, you know, at this point, all we really want are good basketball players. And if you can play well, fans are going to love you for it. So, And he, I'm sure he's well aware of that growing up as a lifelong Warriors fan. Good for um, him. But it's I'm exciting because, him. yeah, it's, it's just – you can't really – you know, it's it's the best situation for him. So – We'll see how that all goes. And uh, I think the Warriors this year, with the addition of David Lee, which I'm not too huge on contract-wise, but he's a great, he's a good player. You know, they have some pieces, and they could potentially challenge for the 10th spot, a.k.a. not the playoffs, but that's better than, like, 13th or 14th in the, in the conference. And yeah, I, I, think- I feel like they could make a run. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Warriors make a run at the playoffs this year. I can kind of feel it. I'm feeling it coming. Last time I felt it coming was uh, 
the Padres this year. I kind of felt like they were going to make a run. And the Giants last year, too. So, yeah. Um, our last main topic is that Steve has been watching The Wire quite effectively, actually. And he's finished the first season, so I'd like to ask you what your thoughts are so that Josh has something to listen to in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about The Wire for a little bit now. Um, if you haven't watched The Wire or you're not interested in The Wire, just fast forward now because it's going to be really boring otherwise. Um, I First thought it was of all, great. that's the wrong statement. If you're not interested in The Wire or if you haven't watched The Wire, you should watch The Wire and then fast forward. Right. <laughs> I mean, sorry, go on. So fast forward after that sentence. I thought it was great. I thought the first season was very impressive. Yeah, the way things ended, you know, it, it's it's kind of indicative of what the entire series, I feel, is going to be like, which is there are no happy endings, and it's going to show you that reality sucks for every character involved, <laughs> which is kind of reminiscent of other shows like Battlestar Galactica, which is the other show that comes to mind when I think of The Wire, strangely enough because of all the moral gray area that they have in that show. But, yeah, I really enjoyed the first season of The Wire. It's, it was very eye-opening and uh, very interesting, very good dialogue, very good writing. You know, the, the finale was fantastic, I thought. They had a lot of callbacks to earlier in the season, mm-hmm. like when McNulty is sitting outside the courthouse and Stringer Bell comes up to him and says, Nicely done. It's yep. just a perfect mirror of what happened in the first episode. And it just shows you that what goes around comes around. And that all the work done and all the money spent on taking down the Barksdale organization really hasn't done anything. The drugs are still being distributed. It's just Stringer Bell is at the head of it now. And D'Angelo Barksdale and Avon Barksdale are going to jail. So the parts so have- are the parts are interchangeable, but the game continues. And that's oh, kind there of- you go. That's kind of the the underlying pessimistic theme. And Carver says that earlier in the season, I think it's the first episode even, where he says they shouldn't call this a war on drugs because wars end. Yep. And, you know, it's just a very realistic but pessimistic view on the way we fight drug dealers. Where we are now at the end of season one, you know, huge spoiler alert, but I don't think anyone really cares. <laughs> um, but yeah, Avon Barksdale, a.k.a. Julius from Remember the Titans, has yeah. been put in jail. D'Angelo Barksdale was about to flip and give up everyone, but his mom guilted him into not doing it, and so he's going to jail for 20 years. Stringer Bell is now running the drug op out of the instead of the attic of... Orlando's strip club. He's doing it out of the attic of some funeral home. Um, McNulty has been relegated to the docks, the one place where he didn't want to go. Now, I thought that was another great callback to earlier in the season when Rawls asked him, where don't you want to end up? And McNulty just smiled because he remembered that earlier conversation with Bunk, I think it was, where yep. don't tell him where you don't want to end up. Freeman. Exactly, yeah. Or well, Freeman, yeah. Yeah. So... McNulty is relegated to the docks, the one place he didn't want to go. Freeman has kind of taken his spot in Homicide. McDaniels, I did, did they really say? I don't even know where Daniels has ended up at the end um, of one. I it's probably remember. going back to DEA, huh? Yeah, and I don't want to spoil anything. So okay, don't, yeah, don't. Kima uh, <laughs> Greggs, uh, having been shot multiple times is still in the hospital, can't even walk without the help of a walker. Um, but do you, have a, do you have a favorite character, Steve? Ah, uh, It's tough. I mean, I don't know. 
I was really I had a I had a few at the end of the first season and well I want to hear what you have to say first. I I of course like McNulty mm-hmm. because he's, he's our main, he's our main guy. <laughs> he's our flawed hero. And he's an amazing asshole. Yet you sympathize with him because he cares when it's not his turn to give a fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, and no one else gives a fuck. Yeah, and he's he's the one with the most moral high ground in the story, even though he admittedly pursues the case only because of his own self-interest, only because of his own ego trying to prove to himself that he's smarter than everyone. He has the moral high ground, but he pursues the case because he wants the moral high ground. And it's not, you know, you, you kind of question his real motivations, but, you know, you still root for the guy. My other favorite character, I think, was Wallace. Wallace, yes. Who I was really sad about when they when they killed him because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't expecting that got. at all. Yeah, it was a poor. You really sympathize with with Wallace because he was, you know, him and D'Angelo were the only two guys who were, you know, seriously contemplating leaving the game. And they were both, you know, pretty impressionable. You know, you felt like they still had potential to be saved. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't lost causes yet. They weren't. There's still a little bit of doubt. Like Bodie was trying so hard to prove himself, where Wallace had, you know, kind of still a conscience left, um, and that's what made and and that's I think those situations that was maybe the first time you really see a, a death where you're like wow they yeah. actually, you know, because the show is not afraid to kill people off. Yeah, like when Omar's boyfriend got killed, you you saw that coming, you expected that, but when right. Wallace got killed, you didn't see that coming at all. I mean, at least I didn't, and I was, you know, that one hurt. Cause yeah, well, because you thought you kid. thought he was on the he was on the path to. I mean, I'm not saying saving himself, but the you know the, the right path, right? Yeah. And uh, it's it's tough to see that ripped away. And you know, both he and D'Angelo had taken steps to get out of the game. And uh, but you know, it sucks you back in. And it's it's tough to see also because you know Bodie and Poot were the ones to kill him. Yeah. You know, his, his friends. It's not like it's Stringer Avon go after him. it's. His buddies, both trying to kill him to prove prove a point, show that they can actually do it. Yeah, I mean, I was I was already predisposed to like Wallace because he, he plays Vince Howard in Friday Night Lights in season four. He's kind of the main character of the season four of Friday Night Lights. Oh really? So, yeah, I liked him already. He also looks a lot like Sean Livingston. Yeah, he does with the cornrows. Yeah, he definitely yeah. does. His face looks just like Sean Livingston too. Yeah, Wallace is one of my favorites. I. I First season, more so than the rest of them, I developed a huge crush on Kima. I don't know why. I think Kima's great. <laughs> yeah, Kima uh, is great. I just like how she's just a badass, and that's that's awesome. And then, well, you'll you'll kind of see the characters develop, but uh, Omar was the third one that really stuck out. Omar, to me. yeah. At the end of season one, Omar comes back and holds up this Hispanic dude, and you know he's back to whistling his tunes. <laughs> No, Omar, Omar has been outed as one of the most unique characters in television history because he's a, a homosexual stick-up robber who robs drug dealers, gives the drugs to the poor. He's he's like a Robin Hood, but he's gay, and he wields a shotgun and whistles for <laughs> Yeah. It's just such a conundrum. Yeah, you but, find yourself liking Omar even though he's a despicable person. You know, and he's, you're not supposed to like him, but he's just got so much character and personality. And, and what's great, I mean, I'm remembering certain se- certain scenes of the season. You know, there's the scene where, like, they're, they have Omar in for interrogation, and, like, McNulty, Freeman, and Greggs are interrogating him, and he just kind of calls them out, and they just, they don't know what to do about it. They're, they just, I think McNulty says, like, 
are we even cops right now? Like, what's what's going yeah. on? Because they were just so influenced by how crazy, like, cool Omar is. He tells it uh, like it is. He's probably one yeah. of the only guys on the show who will always tell it like it is. Yep, he's got his code. And you'll you'll so season two is going to be kind of a weird one because it's it's a different setting. It's at the, at the docks, and a lot of the character the characters that you've already seen will be there, but it's a very distinct story. Whereas the rest of the seasons are very much tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, you're going to see Omar again, you'll see everyone else again. And, uh, I, I think it just keeps getting better and better. Like season one for me was halfway through. I was like, this show is awesome. Season two, like I definitely liked. And then three and four were just great. They were just magnificent. Yeah. I can't wait. You know, everyone tells me seasons three and four are the best. So I kind of want to plow through season two to get to them, but I know season two is going to be good as well. Uh, I was reading up some articles online saying season two was actually the highest rated season of the wire when it first really? aired. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. So yeah, the, the ratings, it's kind of like Friday night lights, the reviews and ratings for the wire have always been really bad. Sorry, not, not the reviews, the ratings have been, you know, they always, it's on HBO, first of all, but it's it's not nearly as hyped as something like The Sopranos. Right. Be that because of the genre. I mean, it, it's it's not really palatable for a lot of the American public. You know, most of traditional white America doesn't want to deal with a bunch of, like, urban, you know, black yeah. drama. Nobody wants to watch a show to be depressed every week, you know? Yeah, and they, they just can't identify with it, which is understandable. But I think I think anyone who's willing to open themselves up and really question Especially in cities, you know why cities are the way they are. I mean, you can you just learn so much from what you see there. They, I mean, if you give it a chance, I think it'll come around. But like you know, we had to tell you to give it a legitimate chance. Right. It took me two attempts to really get hooked on it. So you know, if if even if you don't like it at first, you know, give it another shot. It's it's the most it's one of the most intellectually engaging shows I've ever watched. And you have to pay attention. I mean, I made the mistake of sometimes like having a beer. Uh, or yeah, like, you can't really do that. Outside, like you just you need to be focusing. And and even so, there's going to be so many things you'll miss because you'll read about them later, and you're like, wow, I don't remember that at all. But yeah, like, there's so many characters. Yeah, there it's are hard a ton to keep track of them, and the dialogue is so specific. You you wonder how a guy comes up with this kind of stuff. How does someone? be a part of this world enough where they can write about it with this amount of specificity. And well, I, I don't know what David Simon's background is. But he used to, yeah, he used to work uh, as a cop, like basically like a McNulty type. Right. Um, and obviously a lot of his characters... You feel like he has to, right? Otherwise he just yeah. you know, he wouldn't be able to write this yeah, show. Yeah, I mean, he obviously has a lot of authenticity and that's why, because he's seen it. He's written books on it. He's He made another TV series before on it. And so he's really, really familiar with not only the game, so to speak, but also kind of the production of how to make the game interesting. And, and all of, I think almost all of his characters are based on people that he knew in real life. Omar, so or someone that Omar was based on. There's, you know, obviously a Barksdale type of organization. Um, you know, the the cops that you see there, like like Landsman and Rawls, are definitely based on real people. The, the detectives, I mean, he might have stretched it to some to some degree, but you know, for the most part, these are the real issues. You get some good cops, some bad cops, some good drug dealers, some bad drug dealers. No one's ever. There's all these shades of gray. No one's ever 
truly blocker one. Right. Even Rawls, who up to that point in the story is just a complete asshole in every regard, you know, when Kima gets shot, he's the one that ends up comforting McNulty and yes. shows that he actually has a heart. So, yeah, no one's ever a, black and white. Every, everyone has multiple layers to them, which is uh, the sign of a good show, really. Absolutely. So, I think my favorite scenes, to... I think hmm? from, I think my favorite scenes from the first season are, I have two. One, the first one is the chess scene, where D'Angelo is explaining to Bodie and Wallace and Poot on the couch in the middle of the mm-hmm. low rises about how to play chess. And it's a huge metaphor for the drug game. And, you know, how to, how all the pieces work together and how the kings take advantage of the pawns and so forth. That was just a fantastic scene. The other scene that I really liked was the scene in where Bunk and McNulty are at that dead girl's apartment and they're examining this crime scene and they're figuring out this crime oh, and yeah, solving what the it. Fuck? <laughs> and they only say fuck. Like, it's the only word they use to communicate five minutes. with each other. <laughs> yeah, for like five minutes. Oh, and that's all they say. They say fuck back to each other for the entire duration. And it's just great to watch these guys do this. So, yeah, those two scenes really stuck out to me. Those are fantastic. I have another random question for you. How do you feel about Bubbles? Bubbles Bubbles is a tragic case, you know. He's like, like so many junkies that you see. I mean, he's a good guy. He's got a good heart. But at the same time, he's tragically tied to being an addict. And even towards the end of the season, where you see he tries to get clean, he makes his cleanliness dependent so much on other people that it was almost doomed to fail from the beginning. You know, like, as soon as Kima leaves, you know, Bunk is right back into the drugs. So, you know, I feel bad for the guy, and I don't know what what's going to come of him in later seasons. Yeah, you'll you'll uh, you'll see more of him, and I think not to predispose you anyway, but I think you know season one might have been the high point for me. After a while, I, I got kind of tired of him, but yeah, I can see how he can see. get kind of annoying. I, I'm ar- I already hate his white boyfriend. Oh yeah, Johnny. Totally fine if they killed him off in the next episode. He's just he, so uh, annoying. He actually, this is a random fact, but he looks a lot like the shooting guard for Ohio State basketball this year. He's a white boy <laughs> named. Uh, God, I can't remember his name, but they look eerily similar. It's really strange if you can check it out. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look um, up his profile page. People who look like other people, he's one of them. But yeah, so I think I'll have to get you uh, season two. And yeah, we'll have to, to trade. You, you give in. me the next couple seasons of The Wire, I'll give you three and four of Friday Night Lights. And I gotta find season two of Friday Night Lights, or should I just like read plot summaries or something you should just really yeah you should just read plot summaries is it really that bad and then start out with season three season two is pretty abysmal i mean if you want to go and watch it i mean feel free but there's some pretty terrible storylines they after season one they tried to make it appeal to a wider audience so there's less football and more focus on relationships and more stupid storylines like, the guy who r- tries to rape Tyra comes back. Oh, really? Yeah, and they give that storyline... I mean, I mean, some shit goes down, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I won't completely spoil it for you, but some shit goes down. And that storyline turns out to be the worst in the history of the show. So, I mean, I'm just warning you. If, if you want to watch it, go ahead. But okay. you wouldn't be less served for just reading plot summaries and then skipping to season three. Okay, well, I'll figure out a, a way to make it work. All right, well, 
on that note... Yeah, there's let's... not much else to talk about this week because the only thing going on is baseball. I mean, LeBron has made his decision. Football is still a ways away from starting. And so, I mean, the British Open just ended. There's really nothing going on in the world of sports other than July baseball, which isn't the most exciting thing in the world. So we're going to have to cut this off now. I think um, let's get to the Mary Boff kill, huh? Let's do it. So my three lucky ladies for you are Charlie's Angels. this week, And we'll go with... The actresses, so Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and Cameron Diaz. Okay, so when we had Cameron Diaz on the slightly Spanish chicks one last week, <laughs> um, yes. I you said would I would chuck her. Yeah, you chuck her. I think this time I'm going to have to fuck Cameron Diaz okay. and marry Drew Barrymore Wow. and kill Lucy Liu. Oh, interesting. Yes. Would you like to give me some rationale? Well, the reason for that, I, I'm going to marry Drew Barrymore because I, I think she's really cute and, you know, she's charming. She seems like she's just happy all the time. And, you know, I think she would be a pleasant wife to have. Cameron Diaz, I would fuck because, you know, after marrying Drew Barrymore, it comes down to either fucking Cameron <laughs> Diaz or Lucy Liu. And I'm going to take Cameron Diaz because I think she's more attractive. And that's really what it comes down to, you know? Not much more logic than that. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you. I don't really like Drew Barrymore. I never really have. I, th- I uh, think she looks good in the right light, and I think she, her her demeanor is very cute all the time. Her demeanor is probably better than I'm giving her credit for. I don't... I'm going to... So I'm going to chuck her. I don't really know what to do with the other two. I feel like Cameron Diaz, if she was in, like, There's Something About Mary, that would be great to marry. I don't know if she's still like that, but I think I'm going to take my chances because I, Lucy seems like kind of a nice princess. Yeah, she does seem uh, like a cold-hearted bitch. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I'd rather do her than Barrymore. Maybe so. it's because she cut that guy's head off and killed Bill. Probably true. That didn't help anything. Yeah, Cameron Diaz, as far as I know, has never cut a guy's head off in a movie. But yeah, Lucy Liu <laughs> kind of scary. She's scary, but I think I'll do Lucy Liu and uh, marry Cameron Diaz. Fair uh, enough. Kind of a weird weird mix, but that's what we're going with. <laughs> All right, mine for you this week is MLB players' girlfriends. Uh-huh. So first up, we have Minka Kelly of Friday Night Lights fame, who is Derek Jeter's fiance. We have Rihanna, who is Matt Kemp's girlfriend. And we have Kate Hudson, who is no longer with A-Rod, but had such an epic run with A-Rod last <laughs> year that I felt I had to include her. So those are your three. Have at it, Paul. Boy, um, I always find it easier to chuck first. In this case, I'm going to chuck Rihanna. I'm not a fan of hers, mostly because I like Beyonce so much more. Not that they're on the same playing field or anything. Oh, yeah, not not in the least bit. Beyonce just blows Rihanna out of the water. Beyonce I, I just don't is like, spectacular. I don't like any of Rihanna's songs besides kind of like that new Eminem one with her, but every song that just really annoys me, so... I'm going to check Rihanna. Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I think I'll... Oh gosh. I think I'll fuck Minka Kelly and marry Kate Hudson. I think Minka Kelly is really hot. Um, yes, but she is. But her character from season one of Friday Night Lights just kind of annoys me, even though that's obviously not who she is in real life. But, yeah, I think I'd just have to do her. And then Kate Hudson, 
that's that's okay because Kate Hudson's pretty cool and she's you know she's down to earth. It, it's funny to think of like the baseball players associated with these three because they're three of my least favorites. <laughs> Kemp. So, and and I like Arod the most out of those three. So there you go. <laughs> what about you, Steve? Well. I'll have to agree with you on the Rihanna thing. With apologies to Matt Kemp, um, I mean she's okay, but yeah, her her music leaves much to be desired, I think, and so I would have to chuck her. Also, yeah. I mean she's she's good looking, but I don't think she's fuckable over either of the other two or marryable over the, the either of the <laughs> other two either. What a good so, explanation, Steve. <laughs> well, you're welcome. She's Paul. the least variable and the least fuckable, yeah. so... <laughs> so she's got to go. Sorry, Matt Kemp. Maybe you could make some plays in the outfield or, you know, actually steal a base and not get well, out. And, maybe if you yeah. had taken Rihanna from him, he could do that, but now he's going to be yeah, distracted. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, Rihanna's got to go. Um, I think I have to disagree with you on the other two. I think I would fuck Kate Hudson and I'd marry Minka Kelly. And the reason for that is I feel like Kate Hudson is kind of annoying. Um, ever since she did Almost Famous, she's been relegating herself to these awful romantic comedies with Matthew McConaughey or some other <laughs> I you know, did forget about that. Act, you know, I, uh, talentless ass bag that she happens to co star with. Oh man. I mean, so I mean I don't think I would be able to be around her all the time. I mean, seeing as also how uh, how she's pounced from guy to guy since she got divorced, doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence in Kate Hudson. So I think I would be okay with fucking her and then getting rid of her. And I think I would marry Minka Kelly because she's gorgeous. And although I don't really know much about her at all because she's pretty quiet and pretty yeah. private, which is surprising considering she's engaged to the biggest baseball star on earth. Yeah, but Derek Jeter is also pretty private and quiet. Right, I mean, but his 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 exploits are very well reported about in the media. True, and, true. You know, not a lot of their private life has reached the media and the public, which is a little surprising. But that's a good so, thing, though. Yeah, that's, that's a very good thing for their. It's very healthy for their relationship. And so, you know, I think she seems like a nice person. And of course, I'm ba- basing this on Lila Garrity seeming like a nice person. <laughs> But, we really only we only have so many facts to work with. Right. So yeah. I'm when I say I'd marry Minka Kelly. Lila. Oh, you're gonna marry Lila. Lila Garrity, <laughs> right? Because I really don't know much about Minka Kelly. Yeah, that sounds legit. I think next week we should uh, we should discuss favorite actors because Matthew McConaughey made me think of Matt Damon, who is my favorite actor. But that'll be a story for another time. I thought you were gonna say Matthew McConaughey was your favorite actor, and I would have been very appalled. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. But if you've seen the Matt Damon YouTube clip where he, uh, where he like does his Matthew McConaughey impression, on yes, Madden, I have. It is fantastic. It's spot on, um, <laughs> and thus reaffirming how awesome Matt Damon is. So awesome, he he basically made Matthew McConaughey kind of cool for me after doing that. <laughs> um, but that's a story for another week. Anyway. I think that will just about wrap it up, unless you have any last-minute topics, Steve. Now, that's all we've got for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll try to get the next one in closer to the weekend. Uh, Sorry to inundate you with uh, Giants-Dodgers game stuff, which I'm sure is less exciting when you're not actually watching the game. But that's uh, our first time of kind of doing a live podcast during the game, and it was pretty exciting for us, at least. For me, at least. <laughs> 
but yeah, we'll try to get one up this weekend. Obviously, we failed last weekend, but one of these days we'll get it. So take care. Hope everyone is doing well. All right. Bye-bye. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook.